Hey guys, this is Jason Douglas, and you're listening to the Toonami Faithful Podcast. Joining me today, we have Jason Douglas, the voice of Beerus in Dragon Ball Z Battle of Gods, among many other roles. What's up, Sketch? Good to see you. Good to talk to you this morning, I should say. Yeah, good to talk to you too. Thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to be with us today. Yeah, no problem. This uh, this has been a, a really fun journey. Um, the the fans have been amazing. Um, I, I've I've been a part of, as you mentioned, a lot of different titles and video games and even, you know, obviously stuff on camera over the years. But I haven't quite seen the uh, outpouring of enthusiasm as I've seen with this title. It's amazing. Yeah. Dragon Ball Z, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I it's where it's where it started for a lot of fans who came into kind of anime fandom and DBZ was was on TV in the late 90s. And and um, and I think that's that's what kind of grew our fan base so i think whether you know for guys like me you know this is kind of my actually it's my second shot at dbz because i did a i did a character called king cold in the in the kai the dbz kai uh you know reboot um right but but you know for for a lot of us that have been doing this for years we we owe a bit of a debt uh maybe a big debt to to dbz uh just for kind of um you know ginning up that fan base uh, early on and and i think the big reason it is what it is today is because of 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 dragon ball z so and if you're a big fan i'm only stating the obvious so <laughs> yeah i don't think you'll find too many people that disagree yeah not at all so how did you get into voice acting uh that's a good question um uh, good first question, Sketch, because that that getting into voice acting is kind of uh, it really is the story of my career in some ways. Um, I was uh, I was doing uh, a lot of theater um, in back in Houston, Texas, um, in the, the the mid and late '90s, and uh, at a certain point, I, I had some good friends in the business um, that were that were already doing stuff with a, a little company at the time called ADV Films. And uh, if, you're a, if you're a hardcore anime fan, you'll know that name, of course. Um, and uh, they, were, they were telling me, you know, you've, you're, you're a good actor. You should, you, know, you should do this. You can make a little money, not much, but it's you know, a nice supplemental income. You know? and, and, uh, and, and so they, they kind of got, talked me into auditioning. Those two guys were a guy named uh, Gil Lundy, who might be the greatest... Uh, one of the greatest anime voices uh, that no one's ever heard of because he was there at the beginning and then he just checked out. And the other guy is uh, uh, actually somewhat well-known, especially on the convention circuit. His name is Lou Temple, and he's a, he's a good friend of mine. And um, uh, uh, he, he most recently was well-known for, for playing a role on The Walking Dead. But, um, but we were good friends back in Houston, and, and he kind of got me. Uh, he said, you know, you need to go do this. So I did, and I auditioned, and I got a lead role right off the bat. And... Um, that that was my introduction. Is was that company ADV Films, and and the role was uh, a role in a show called Kimiguri Orange Road: Summer's Beginning. I played the lead, uh, and then I went on to do very quickly after that roles in uh, Bubblegum Crisis 2040, where I played Leon, and uh, a, a number of other roles. But that that was the entry for me, and it, and it led to a lot of other voice uh, you know voice roles after that as well. 
And how did you find your way over to Funimation? Well, you know, um, it's it's an interesting story because when I was working at uh, in Houston at, with ADV, uh, there was this young lady that um, uh, was a really fantastic actress. Um, and uh, I was doing a lot of theater at the time as well. And, and I said to her, um, you've got an amazing voice. You know, you, you really ought to, you ought to try this out. Um, and, and, and she, I don't think it had ever occurred to her before or, or what, but, uh, but she did, she responded and, and Monica Real went and auditioned and, uh, and got cast and, uh, and, and she started working very steadily. And as, as we all know, um, if you're, you know, you, there's a, probably a lot of your audience knows exactly who Monica Real is. You should. Yes, actually, we know <laughs> the other half of this story. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> well, she mentioned that you got her into yeah. voice acting. That's right. That's right. And uh, and I'm, I'm of course grateful. She always mentions me. I think when she's asked this question, and it's it's uh, it's very lovely. But she eventually. Uh, got the attention of the folks up in Dallas, uh, in Dallas area, of course, I'm talking about Funimation and, um, and started working, uh, and driving, making the drive and, uh, was working at both for both, uh, both companies. And I got an email out of the blue one day from Monica saying, Hey, uh, my friend Mike McFarland is having auditions for a show, uh, called Trinity blood. And, um, I think you, you know, I think you'd be great. And, uh, she sent me the size and said, you know, just, Record it at home and record your audition at home and send it to Mike and let's see what happens. And and I got cast in a character called Wordsworth uh, and and that was kind of the beginning of my relationship with Funimation. So so uh, it, it's kind of a cool story. I kind of got I kind of got Monica involved in in anime and specifically with ADV Films and then and then she uh, she kind of threw me the rope and and pulled me into Funimation. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> you scratch yeah. my back, I scratch your back. Exactly. We had a really nice moment last night. I, I saw Monica, as a matter of fact. Uh, we oh, both right. attended. Yeah, that's right. We attended the DBZ uh, Battle of Gods premiere. Um, uh, one of them. Uh, obviously, it's uh, open nationwide last night. But um, she was there, and we just kind of looked at each other, and she was kind of like, you know, look, this. I've got a tear in my eye because here we are, and you know, we we go what we go back so far. I mean, this this friendship goes back. Gosh, at least fifteen years, maybe maybe more, but I don't want to I don't want to give away my age. I'll tell you if you ask, but I, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend I'm still the young man that I was when I started. I'm still young. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just judging by your you know your Skype picture. Yeah, yeah, it's a strapping, fine-looking young fellow, right? Yeah. Probably should get a new picture, but yeah. But the important thing is you can still play young fellas. <laughs> Yeah, you know that's cool. I, I mean, I, I've I've never been one of these. Um, I, I don't consider myself in the industry. We have a term for certain kind of voice actors. It's called the golden throat, right? Mm. And so the idea is that a golden throat could just open up the phone book and start reading, and they don't have to be necessarily even a great actor. But it's just the timber of their voice is is so mellow. It's just kind of got this thing that lulls you into a, uh, you know, into excitement, and you know. So I. I I've never considered myself to be one of those guys. I always felt like I had to get by on my, you know, acting chops. And, and, um, and so if I, you know, if I need to play a younger guy, I can kind of go into that range that they look for. Hey, look, it's not that 19 or 18 year old guys don't have deep voices sometimes because they do. Um, but a lot of times our expectation when we're watching animation is for our younger characters to have those sort of, uh, 
a lighter, kind of a more enthusiastic, kind of a higher pitched voice. This is why Sean Shamble's been working for years, man. He still sounds like Goku did 20 <laughs> years ago. It's amazing. I met, you know, I got to meet him. Believe it or not, I've never hung out with Sean Shamble until last night. Wow. And um, what an amazing range he has as well. I mean, and and I think that's uh, that's a true. It's a real. It's a really lovely gift if if you can sort of uh, do that. But I am getting older, and I'm 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 sort of aging into some really cool um, kind of roles like you know crusty detective type roles which are a lot of fun to play yeah absolutely i i had so much fun doing that uh that show and and uh and i just love that guy and i've done versions of that guy before but he was such a well crafted and well-written character um that it was a, a real pleasure to to be a part of that and to play that role excellent yeah we talked a bit about uh, what your thoughts are on Dragon Ball Z, so I guess it's not going to be too surprising your answer for what attracted you to the role of Lord Beerus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wish I could say that those roles were just out there for me to choose. And, and what what happens uh, a lot of times is like the folks that are, you know, casting these roles, um, they think of you and they say, hey, would you read for this? And uh, I can't remember if I read, I don't know if I even auditioned for this, but I do know that Chris Sabat brought me in and he had brought me in on, on the video game initially um, to play Beerus and, uh, and that went really well. And, um, and I don't know that there was just something, there, there was something really fleshed out about this character of Beerus that he didn't feel like just a stock villain. Um, uh, and, and it was, it was, I would say very different from from any other sort of villain character I think I've ever played. Um, there was this just this 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 kind of uh, you know this delicious kind of uh, enjoyment of who he is without without the need for him to attain power or to or to get something that he lacks. That's what's so cool about Beerus. He, he actually has everything he needs. There's nothing there's nothing about Beerus that is typical in terms of your average sort of villain um, because most villains they lack something and the re- that's the reason they're villains they're choosing sort of evil means to get what they want Beerus isn't like that he just is I've been calling him this force of nature um, but he just exists you know and the, like there are cosmic forces in the universe that just exist and he's one of them that makes sense uh, yeah, he seems very charismatic yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think he's I, I, what's great about Beerus is he's he's so comfortable with himself. Um and he's he's you might even say he's a little bored. I mean, if if he lacks anything, it's a challenge. Yeah. And, and and I think that's probably the one thing is just you know, uh uh I I the idea of when you're the best, you kind of maybe get bored being the best and you're looking for someone who can really beat you, somebody who can really challenge you, you know, and I think that's where Beerus is. He's like, please give me somebody, give me somebody that can get and stand in my way. And he um, hit the top and had to stop. Right. <laughs> that's exactly. Mothering him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you kind of already answered this, but uh, how did you approach the role? You know, obviously you, you have a director. Well, I should say something about that too, because, uh, 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 you know, Chris Sabat, who has been with the series from from pretty much, I believe, the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we've I've had the privilege of working with him um, uh, over the last few years, more and more. Um, I also played um, Krieg, if you're if you know Borderlands Two, 
Um, right. And uh, yeah, and 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 so I've done that with them along with a number of other video games and 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 uh, and, and things over the last couple of years. And so he knows my work really well. Um, and and Chris is really great about sort of helping to sculpt your performance. I mean, you bring in what you bring in, and you may be like ninety percent there, uh, but what what Chris did, what Chris does is just kind of get you that final 10% and give you really great notes. And, you know, I, I may do a take and I may think, well, that was pretty great. And he'll say, you know, Jason, let's, let's do that again. Try it like this because I'm seeing something else going on here. And I'll be like, Oh yeah, you know, that's maybe I hadn't thought of that before. So a, a lot of what you see is, is, uh, it's obviously my voice, but I'm still kind of relying on, on that guidance. And of course, you know, Chris being the DBZ guy, he knows, uh, he knows what's needed and what's expected. And so that's invaluable. Um, but, you know, I came in with Beerus. Uh, one thing I always do is uh, I, I want to be true to what I feel like are the intentions of, um, of the creators. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking at the artwork. I'm, I'm looking at the character. How are they drawn? Uh, what are the expressions? Um, and, and how can I kind of fulfill what, what, what those guys intended. I'm not necessarily taking all my cues off of the, the Japanese voice actors because in some ways they're, they're interpreting their character and I have to do the same thing. Um, it can be useful, but we're not trying to do an imitation. Um, we have to kind of make our own choices. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I try to fully invest in giving it everything, what I, you know, everything that the animation has. And then I'm, and then I'm also adding my own, you know, sort of coining my own phrases, so to speak. I'm adding my own twist and, and um, you know, really fleshing out what I think is kind of the interior of the character. And with Beerus, it was so great to do because they give you so much. There's so many clues as to kind of how he's feeling, just the way they draw him, the way he stands, even his fighting style is so, uh, it's so economical. You don't ever see him kind of like, you know, there's very little of like effort in his fighting. It's just it flows like water, you know? And, uh, and so that says a lot about him as, as a, as a personality. And so it's great, you know, when, when you have that to work with. That's a stark contrast from most, most of the Dragon Ball Z characters that have to work so hard to do things. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder, I mean, I think I'm seeing a lot of really positive fan response to, to this character. And I, I wonder if that's not why I, I, I just, you know, maybe, maybe Beerus is different um, from a lot of previous kind of, um, you know, rivals or, or, or foes that Goku has had to face. And, and I think he's interesting. He's got his own kind of interesting story going, going along. So I, I would, you know, I think it would, he's a character that you're interested, I think, to see more of, at least I hope that's the case, because obviously it would be nice to see more of Beerus, um, kind of in the DBZ universe. Absolutely. That actually leads us to our next question uh, regarding, uh, what, what would you like to see happen with the character in the future? Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I, um, um, I, obviously, we're all just kind of speculating on what's on what's going to happen next. I think a lot of us would love to see like a, a even even one season, like a series of a re, you know return to 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 these characters uh, with a full series arc. I think that would be fantastic. I think. I think now that Beerus is in in this way, you know, so in such a dominant way in this film, um, it's almost hard to imagine for me anyway future uh, DBZ stuff without him, at least on some level. Um, 
but I, I, I think with this, uh, this film almost sets him up, and it's almost like a you know Rocky versus Apollo Creed, if you know that reference, kind of uh, you yeah. know the duality between these two characters, and and uh, I, I could definitely see. I mean, there's almost a Jedi-like relationship between Beerus and Goku that I think would be interesting to explore. I think in future future episodes, I don't I don't know that I see Beerus coming back and trying to destroy uh, Goku after this. It's, I guess this is a bit of a spoiler. If you haven't seen the film yet and you're hearing this, um, you just turn it down for about ten seconds. I think that it would be interesting to see what would happen uh, if uh, I don't know, maybe if if Beerus. Uh, at least for practical reasons, teams up with Goku in the future. I don't know. Uh, maybe oh, that could happen. Does I don't know. that with a lot of his villains? Yeah, for sure. It would be interesting to see um, where. If you've seen again, if you've seen the film, you know it kind of at the very end, um, Beerus. And I won't give this away if you haven't seen it, but Beerus says something that really opens up a lot of possibilities for future DBZ stuff. Um, and stuff that you realize, oh, even Beerus could really be challenged here. Uh, so um, I'll just leave it at that. But I think I think the future is wide open. It's just a question of whether um, uh, you know Toriyama, the original, obviously the creator, and and the the studio, if they want to invest in in telling these stories. And and I don't know why they wouldn't, because there seems to be a a pretty solid fan base out there who readily uh, you know warm up to it. I'm a big fan of One Piece, and you voiced Aokiji. That's right. That's right. Yeah, fun, uh, fun, fun character. Um, uh, yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. You know, it's it's really interesting. At at Funimation, uh, I've really had the opportunity to do some like really diverse uh, characters uh, in the last couple of years, and uh, and obviously that's uh, that's one of them. And um, um, you know, like I just want to keep, I just want to keep doing that. Yeah, Alkaji, he's he's a character. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I, you know, and, and you that's another to expect from him. Yeah, that's right. You don't know whose side he's on. Uh, uh, you don't know. It, but what's interesting is that it, again, it's his his power contrasted with his totally laid back style, his total approach. I mean, from the beginning, you feel like he's over this. He really doesn't necessarily want to be doing what he's doing. Um, he would rather be kind of like, you know, sitting on a beach somewhere, just sipping a cocktail and kind of hanging out. And uh, it's it's almost as if he just, uh, okay, you know, he keeps getting drawn into this stuff. So I think, I, I you know, again, a, a really interesting and uh, well-conceived um, part of the One Piece universe was was that character. And uh, and I, got, I was privileged to do it. I don't know how that happens, but it just... <laughs> How much fun was it to say that one line about Nami's breasts? Oh right, well, yeah, that's it's always uh, uh, it's always it's always fun when those little gems come up, and then and then people remember it. And, and you, at the time, you know, a lot of times you're just you're doing stuff and you're going through the the script, and 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 those things come up, and you just do it because it's like oh, we got to get these lines out and get to the next thing. And then it's like only in re- retrospect you're like, what was that all about? You know. <laughs> What? That's hilarious, right? But I don't know. It's Lots of cool. that stuff in One Piece, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Talking about the many roles that you have played, what do you consider your most challenging role thus far? Oh yeah, um, that's a good one. Uh, uh, I I could probably 
I could probably mention a couple if we have time, you know, just off the top of my head. Sure. Um, you know, I, I uh, back in the ADV days, I, I did quite a few uh, interesting characters. Um, there was one in uh, particular um, that I'm trying to think of, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the, of the show. You know, I mean, it's interesting. Like early on, um, early on, there were a few roles that that they all kind of challenged me because I was just ramping up. And it's interesting to think now in retrospect, like, would I have done that differently? So, like early on, it, like they they were all a challenge because it was like, how do I how do I adapt myself to this sort of animated universe where you already have the characters drawn and and um, you know, it's like early on. It's interesting. I, we did uh, we did the English version of, and when I say English, English. I'm actually talking about the UK version of Street Fighter 2. Some other company had the uh, uh, the North American licensing rights. So oh. I played I played Ken, and uh, this was my this was really the first series I did where where it was like shredding your voice, sort of fighting and screaming. And there were a few episodes which were entirely screaming and fighting. And so that was kind of my first experience actually losing my voice doing. A character, um, uh, but I did a lot. Of, you know, I did a number of things over there. Uh, certainly, uh, Bondo from uh, Elfin Lead uh, was uh, was in many ways a challenge, just because he was Ooh. so evil um, and and uh, uh, you know just kind of like, wow, this is this is really really dark. Um, I will tell you though, if, if, most challenging role from that era would be probably Hugo. Uh, from you go the negotiator and this is a very little known title most people haven't seen it was it's more dramatic than anything else but uh it's a guy that is basically a hostage negotiator and in the first series arc he goes to the middle east uh like afghanistan i think um and sort of he has to like take on uh, a persona that will be accepted by these very brutal um tribes people and uh, learn the language, and um, that was that was pretty difficult. Uh, we even I even learned some lines uh, in the native language so that we, you know, our the character Hugo could say some things um, that sounded authentic. Um, so that was that was a huge challenge for me at that time. Um, and then I don't know. More recently, uh, I would say any time that there's a show like this, uh, like Dragon Ball Z, when you know that this is this is a giant title like you know from a fan standpoint it's a very important title it's important that we get it right um <clears throat> we'll spend time with it you know we're not just knocking out a line and then moving on we might spend we might spend 20 minutes on one or two lines just because we want to make sure that it it fits the not just fits the flaps but fits the character um so i would say you know a lot of my characters have become more challenging as as i've continued to like take every role more seriously good answer i think uh, this uh this is definitely the first time somebody has answered that regarding a role in which they're playing a character that's shall we say in a very tense situation right most right. of the time when people answer those questions they're talking about roles that were really emotionally draining for them yeah because there's particular yeah. moments in that series where it's just yeah. it's intended to emotionally drain you yeah i think i've had i mean i think i've had uh, a few roles like that over you know over the 
the years. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, when I, if you, when presented with that question, I just, I'm scanning back and I'm trying to think of everything I've ever done, which is kind of impossible in, you know, <laughs> half a second's time. But uh, the ones that stand out are kind of the ones that became kind of iconic in their own way, mm-hmm. um, even if for no one else but me. But at the time seemed really important or or had, you know, you, you, when you have a lot of people come up to you and say, I love doing that role. I love this show. And, and you realize, wow, this this thing exists outside of the recording booth, you know, because a lot of times that's where the show exists for us. And you say a, a title, a voice actor will often immediately just think back to when they recorded it and what that was like, you know, and and the reality is that it gets out there and 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 audience either connects with it or they don't and if it if they do it can be a really special experience for them which is not something i ever imagined would be the case kind of the opposite end of the coin which role has been the most fun for you yeah that's easy uh i played a role uh called uh, named michael michael hanagata in a in a title called wandaba style and uh oh, oh yeah. wandaba style <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I, i'm glad you and like Two other people know about that, I think. Maybe I, I would love to be surprised and find out that I'm wrong. Watching that yeah. on the Anime Network On Demand. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. The Anime Network did do that. Um, that was... Um, I loved working on that. Uh, John Swayze uh, directed the, did the ADR direction on that. Um, and uh, it was, at the time, and even still, I thought it was one of the coolest roles that I'd had a chance to play. If, if you haven't seen the series... And obviously, Sketch, you have, but perhaps many of your listeners haven't. Um, Michael Hanagata is the sleazy manager of an all-girls J-pop group. And he, he is that. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's sleazy, and he's, he's willing to rope them into doing almost you know, any kind of gig. You know, if he could make a few bucks having them play uh, at, the, uh, at a convenience store opening, he would do it. Because uh, he's all about the cash. And... Um, but he turns out to be, rather than kind of a side character, uh, kind of the maybe the lead character of this series, um, which is which seems surprising. Uh, but he's he's there in every episode. He's involved in every plot twist, and um, uh, and he's ridiculous. I mean, he's absolutely ridiculous. And for some reason, I connected with this character in a way that I never connected with. Another character. I just felt him in my bones. I was like, you know. It just you know yeah I'm Michael Hanagata here I miss you it's so nice to see you you know I mean like it just I could even now I can do his voice because it uh, um, he just he just inhabited me and uh, and it made a lot of it was a very comedic role and it and it and it uh, and it just seemed like at every turn we were just having like a a devilishly good time in the studio uh, and we would have to just stop because I mean it would it was so ridiculous that we would all just bust out laughing and have to go, okay, all right, okay, time is money, guys. We're in a studio. we got to record this. But, um, yeah, I had a great time doing that role. Uh, I wish they could all be that way. Um, uh, but, yeah, that's – and that's probably – if you were to ask me, what's the one series that you think nobody's seen that you've done that you would love for people to watch, I would probably point you that direction, Wandaba style. Yeah, that is a very quirky show. Yeah, I mean, for me, it ranks up there with Excel Saga in some ways. Um, I did El Palazzo in Excel Saga, and uh, and that was that was huge at the time. I mean, that was that got a lot of following, and I think for a lot of people, you know, it was so inside jokey, and and uh, it was a 
kind of a parody of the anime genre in general and people really connected with that um uh, uh, and and so i i kind of was known for a while for playing il palazzo and so when wandaba style came along i thought man this is this is a really great character people are really going to dig this and then i won't say it was crickets but it was not the same reception as as uh as uh excel saga and i just think that had to do with the fact that it wasn't it wasn't considered a top shelf title right off the bat. Yeah. It and it, it came out at a time where there was a sea of titles. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there was a, a, a there was th that was a, a time, if I'm not mistaken, this is when Blockbuster was still open. I mean, you could walk in and they had an anime section that was just, you know, growing and growing. Well, Blockbuster, anime oh, section. Yeah, these right. these are ideas that are foreign to me now. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even, you, 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 like, the fact that you even. It, you even had to go to a video store but i mean that's the thing that's where you would go or you would go to blockbuster or you would go to like uh even like best buy started carrying the anime time they probably still do best buy but um but but yeah i mean the, the video when the video stores started carrying the titles like big time you knew okay this anime thing is really going somewhere because i was there kind of i don't want to say at the very beginning but i was there early on when 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 those guys were really trying to launch an interest in anime fandom and the cons were like in little out of the way places, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> and it was like, you know, a college anime club or something. Um, but it was, it was growing and we sort of got to see, I've gotten to see over the years how this thing is just really matured and come into its own. And it's, it's, it's cool to be an anime fan, you know? Not just socially, but it's actually. I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot of content out there to choose from in every genre. Oh, absolutely. There's this. You go on Hulu, whatever kind of show you want to watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 cool, and it's cool to see a lot of that stuff is showing up on Netflix and Hulu, and and I guess Amazon as well. I noticed that one of my original titles, uh, Bubblegum Crisis, <clears throat> was on, and I think is still on Netflix. And, yep. uh yeah, and even posted at some point on my fan page about, you know, hey, if you've never seen this, this is kind of a foundational title. You should go yeah. check it out. It's on People Netflix. And, check that out. Yeah, it's yeah, good sci-fi. It, it is good sci-fi, and even even by even by today's sort of standards, it is still. Um, I think, I think it was. I don't want to say it was the original because it wasn't, but it was it, early on. They were combining like hand-drawn. Um, you know, art with with a little bit of CGI and it, and it blended quite beautifully, um, it, but it, it felt really it, it felt really advanced for its time. Um, uh, a really great pounding soundtrack, um, you know, and and uh, uh, even now, I think it, if if that series came out now instead of whatever it was 15, 16 years ago, um, I think it would hang. It would hang right up there at the top. I think it still holds up. And you mentioned conventions. Do you have uh, an interesting experience at a convention that you'd like to talk about? Well, my interesting experience uh, with conventions is that uh, I I don't I don't really go, uh, and it's just uh, I've been uh, I'm I'm very busy. I've got a family, and I don't really have um, I don't really have a convention scheduler. I don't I don't really uh, have someone kind of handling those bookings for me. Uh, so I'm not out there. Now that's not to say that I wouldn't go. Um, but I just, uh, I haven't gone much. I did, uh, I did anime weekend Atlanta, uh, probably 10, 12 years ago. 
Um, wow, has it been that long? Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was uh, that was a great experience for me. Uh, that was a big con at the time. And then uh, I did Ushikan um, not long after that. And I don't think that was Brett Weaver's con, and I don't think he's doing it anymore. But that was in Austin, Texas, um, a small convention. And honestly, you know, at, even at that time, um, I had done a show called Dirty Pair Flash several years prior, and I did a character named Toma. And that, you asked about my favorite characters. That is also one of my favorite characters that I've done. And uh, a young lady came up to me with like her Dirty Pair Flash stuff and was like, I love your character of Toma, would you sign this? And I was floored. I was like, are you, are you serious? That is awesome. I, I didn't realize that you, you could latch on to kind of, he wasn't the lead character of the series, but he was kind of a lead character of a, an arc within the series that lasted what we would, what we called, you know, like two volumes back then, which was probably about six episodes. And, um, and I was, I was, that was the first inkling that I had that about the idea of, you know, sort of finding your niche as far as a fan goes, as far as being a fan and sort of finding your niche in terms of the shows that you like and, it might be something that no one else has ever heard of, but um, but if you're on the receiving end of that, those comments from my standpoint, you realize, oh, that that sort of interesting but minor character that I did three years ago is still rattling around, and people are finding it and and they're digging it. So that was really cool. Do you have any amusing recording booth stories? Oh wow, probably. Gosh, that's uh, interesting recording booth stories. I got kind of slammed in. You know, I was telling you about my first anime job. It was with a show called uh, uh, A Kimigiri Orange Road. And for some reason, Matt Greenfield cast me as the lead. And I had never played, I had never done this before. And uh, uh, so we're recording. And uh, for what is now, a, it's, it's, you know, I think it times out. It's about a two-hour, it's an OVA. And if you're, it's, it's an, it's a, a older, beloved manga series um called kimiguri orange road and this was an ova called summer's beginning and um it was a sweet little time travel tale with you know love and romance and and uh uh incidentally i think it was jessica calvello's first show with adv films it was her first anime role as it was mine huh. and um and um but i i just recall working on a certain sequence uh, where uh, my my character is sitting in a cafe sipping coffee, uh, and I swear we did that like for a half an hour sipping coffee. <laughs> no, no, that's not. It's got to be. It's got to be like this, and then he and then Matt, ah. the director, would do it. I'd be like, okay, all right, ready. <laughs> no, okay, that's not quite it. You need to like it more. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that was it, and and I was just like. Wow, this is painstaking, isn't it? And uh, all for Foley. And I, at the time, I think he felt like this is a really important show. We have to get everything right. But that was like kind of my right out of the gate, you know, experience was working, which it, what became, and I'm, the reason I mentioned the time, it's about a two-hour show. And I think I recorded my character for about 19 or 20 hours in the studio. So... That was that was them holding my hand and teaching me how to do it, along with you know doing sipping sounds for a half an hour. <laughs> well, that that would be uh, interesting the first time you're doing voiceover there, having you do that yeah. kind of fully. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the other thing you don't think about is Foley. I mean, you think, you know, well, I'm acting, I'm, I'm, I'm doing lines, I'm having conversations with other characters. And so much of what we do um, is Foley. And um, I actually got really good at Foley over the years. And I, it, with it, within the studio environment, I kind of became known for, for, you know, kind of knocking it out of the park when it came to Foley and fighting and getting hit. That's my favorite thing is to get beat up because, you know, like just the kind of stuff you know falling yeah. off and as michael hanagata when i was telling about earlier if you remember i mean he got his butt kicked on a regular basis and he was uh -huh. like falling down mountains or you know falling off of a roller coaster and get you know and hitting every beam or branch on the way down and so every little every little you know scrape has its own you know yeah and uh and I physicalize that stuff. You know, just now when I'm doing it, I'm like, my whole body is shaking or whatever. But I think it, hope it comes through, you know, on, in the shows that we do. Excellent. Now, you mentioned you have a family. You're a very busy guy. But do you ever have the chance to watch Toonami? Uh, you know, I've tuned in a few times. Uh, uh, and I, I'm, I'm just so glad that, that that stuff is out there. Um, I think I've been in a few things that have been on, on Toonami. Um, yeah. And now, yeah, I, I think, like with you know i dvr everything so i i'm never i'm never making an appointment to sit down and watch it's always like dvr dvr and then i play catch up later on um but i've had some stuff you know like uh obviously attack on titans running right now and i think it was just announced mm -hmm. this week about my work that's coming up in some episodes and casher and sins uh was, a, was there for a while and and uh yeah of course you mentioned one piece and soul eater and space dandy those are all uh, Funimation titles on Toonami that I've yeah. been a part of. So. Dead Man Wonderland. Dead Man Wonderland, of course. Yeah, of course. That, that was uh, that was a very important title as well. So uh, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I just think it's I think it's great that this exists, and uh, a lot of fans are 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 waiting and watching it uh, on Toonami when it airs, and it's 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 really cool. It generates some excitement. A lot of the a lot of the cast are live tweeting during during uh, their episodes, um, which always I think. It makes it more immediate with the it's cool i think as a fan to sit there and watch something and know that other fans and the cast are watching it at the same time and you can kind of have this real-time experience and this conversation um but what's cool about toonami as well is these are really great titles i mean these are really these are really great shows i mean it's it's like the cream of the crop and um i think uh, it's hard not to me, when you're change, if you're just flipping through the channels and you flip over to, and you happen to pass Toonami, I don't know how you don't stop and just watch for a <laughs> while. Because honestly, I mean, some of this stuff is amazing. I mean, Attack on Titan is just it's it's I mean, it's literally it's out of this world. I mean, and conceptually, it reminds me of of some of the wilder like you know Hayao Miyazaki stuff. You know that just you're watching the screen and you're going, what? That is amazing. Who? who thought of that that's ridiculous and you know you just can't help but keep watching it so anyway i think it's i think it's awesome that toonami's doing this obviously we agree we got a website yeah of course <laughs> absolutely yeah are there any titles that you have worked on or maybe not have worked on that you would like to see on toonami yeah you know i was uh that's interesting i i uh I think Psychopass would be a great fit. Oh, for, me too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I really would love to see Psychopass up. It's great sci-fi, uh, in in the in in the very classic like Philip K. Dick mold. I mean, and, and I think it's got a good, 
Um, it's got a great arc. Uh, I think it's got compelling characters. I love the, I love the sci-fi tech that's in it. Uh, you know, kind of very imaginative. These guns that they use that can kind of zero in on people that are going to possibly commit a crime and in this sort of two classes of people that exist. I think that's mm -hmm. a really compelling sci-fi idea is, is in this future where we have two classes of people, um, one of which are kind of clean, you know, they're, they're, they're not potential threats allegedly. And then you have these other people that kind of are and live under this, 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 this cloud constantly. Um, and then within that context, you have the police uh, and some of whom are you know boy scouts and then the other ones of whom are like not and and uh and it's interesting um my character obviously falls on uh the dark side of that in in uh in psychopaths but i'm glad you agree i think it would be a great i think it would be a great series um if, if i was to pick one other one i would say maybe black butler i don't know if that's a little uh a little uh pushing it um but uh, i was in black butler too and um um, I, I thought it has a really interesting storyline and, and uh, obviously the fan base is crazy for it. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. That's a popular one. Yeah, it is. But it's a little weird. And if you're a fan, you know what I'm talking about. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, compared to what else is on Toonami right now, I don't know if it if it's any stranger. But it definitely has some interesting um, Can't possibly elements. Can't more strange in space, Dandy. Well... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I mean, how about that, right? So um, maybe, but I would definitely, I would start with Psychopaths for sure, just because I think, I just think it's damn cool. Yeah, it's yeah. A really comparing I, narrative. Uh, well, yeah, and when you when you when, when you like you something, interesting you, concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, if, from my standpoint, when you like something like that, you really want to get behind it, and and just you just want to get more eyeballs on it. You want more people to see it because it's cool. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, hey, we made this. We want to share it with you. So. Check it out, but but um, you know they're really solid. It's been great working with Funimation. Um, uh, they they seem to be on solid footing. They've got a great a great plan for the future, and and um, I'm just constantly amazed at the licenses that they're picking up. And and because um, you know I know at the end of the day I'm gonna at least get a shot at working on on a lot of this stuff. And and um, and and then I think the fans are really gonna dig it as well. I think the dubs. Um, that, that Funimation is put, is putting out are, are second to none right now. So I think, you know, if you if you, if there's if there's a series out there somewhere that hasn't been licensed yet, um, and and really needs a great English dubcast, I I would hope that Funny would pick it up. I think I think the work that we're doing across the board is really great. Oh, I agree. I mean, a lot of it is just you know, a lot of it is just the culture there and and of 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 wanting to really be a part of of. You know they're fans too. I mean, a lot of the folk they're they're anime fans too. They want to they want it to be good. And um, and you've got guys like Mike McFarland and and uh, uh, Colleen Klinkenbeard. Um, and um, even I think uh, I think uh, I think Monica's even maybe started directing some stuff. I know she's writing. Monica Real is writing a lot of the the scripts now. Mm -hmm. And then of course you have guys like Chris Sabat who are are directing stuff for them as well. And um, they just got really solid people who are really great at, you know, getting getting what they need out of out of the actors, and also understanding the source material and and what needs to happen to make it fit. Yeah, I think they're pretty cool over at Funimation. 
Well, me too. I think that's key. I mean, you gotta, you gotta love what you do. If you don't love what you're doing, then you're not going to do the best you can at it. And I think that's true of anything. Um, but I, you know, it would be easy to be cynical and just say, Hey, this, there's this thing that we could do and make some money because people are into it. Let's, you know, let's crank out these voice dubs. And I think other companies have done that. But when your company is filled with people that actually love the content and love what they're doing, they might make some mistakes along the way and slip ups and the fans will call them out for it. But at the end of the day, you have to know that all these people are, are fan boys and fan girls, just like anybody else. And they're, they're, um, they're rooting for this stuff to be good. They're, you know, they're excited when they license a really awesome title. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of consideration that goes into casting and, and the writing and, and, um, you know, what actor or actress is the perfect fit for this role. Um, so, you know, that's, there's definitely a lot of nurture that goes into cranking these titles out and making them good. You might find this interesting or not. We'll come in to work on, let's say I'm going in to work on uh, Guild Arts for Fairy Tale. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's time, sometimes there's time left over and they'll say, hey, would you mind popping into this other studio and doing, uh, and doing some like, you know, quick soldier character or, or a crowd scene or Walla uh, for this other show we're working on. And it might be a show that I have no other interaction with. And so I'll go in and I'll, you know, you'll, so you might, you might hear me in some other title as like, you know, soldier number two. And uh, so there's a, there's a lot of, you know, we can talk about the titles where I'm obviously very prominent in, but there's like, for every one of those, there's probably like six or eight titles where again you know i'm just like man you know driving cab or here's (laughs) one i get here's one i get a lot sometimes is like news announcer right so you know characters are like interacting and there's a tv on and there's like a news announcer talking about some plot point or whatever and a lot of times i'm that guy you know earlier today in osaka blah 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 blah. you know you hear that in the background and that's i don't know i don't know why but i tend to get that that little kind of Foley type character. Whenever I get to do a character like that, I'm not, I'm not thinking. Oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna blow this off so I can get out of here. I mean, you know, I treat it as if it's the most important character in the show, right? So, right. like, it, for that that time that I'm in the booth, um, and and you know, even if it's just one line, it's still got to be, it's still got to be absolutely right for that for that moment in the show. Because I think if I'm watching something. And this has definitely happened to me, especially when I'm watching anime is, you know, you'll, your, your leads might be great. And then you like have this one supporting character that comes in and there's just something flat about it or not quite, that doesn't quite fit. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's, I think it's easier to sort of build a character over time and like understand where your character is coming from and where it's going. And sometimes these supporting characters, you come in, you don't know what the story's about. I mean, they'll say, hey, can you come in and do some voices? And I, I have no idea what the show is, what the name of it, what it's about. And honestly, a director's not going to, they're not going to sit there for 20 minutes and give me background on a show just so I can go in the booth for five minutes and record a couple of lines. Um, but, but, you know, sometimes those one-liners can come off as flat, and I think they should sink as they should sink in as well as your lead character, because you don't you don't want the audience to drop for a minute and go, "Ugh, that sounded off," or it didn't sound like he knew what he was talking about. You know, within the context of the scene. So, I don't want that to happen. Don't want that to happen, because. <laughs> 
if you take somebody out of the immersion, it's hard to get them back. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you, I mean, you, you can miss a plot. You can miss an important plot point because you're still thinking about how badly that last line was delivered. And you know what I mean? That's just mm -hmm. uh, that we, we have to tell our story from beginning to end uh, and tell it well. So where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Jason2040, and um, I twit about a lot of things, so um, uh, it's not all anime all the time at all. Um, and then you can find me on uh, Facebook at, I think it's Jason Douglas Fans. I think that's the name of it, so look that up. Some dear friends set that up for me, and, and I now have admin privileges, strangely enough. You would think that would come first, but... Uh, <laughs> you would think that would come first. Yeah. So I, I generally post, but not always. Sometimes uh, folks are posting for me, but that's a great place to. Um, that's kind of where I've decided to put most of my film and television and and uh, anime and VO related information. So, well, thank you again, Jason, for taking the time out of your schedule to record with us. Thanks, Sketch. It's really been fun, man. <laughs> <laughs>